Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 136. You know, I'm not a calendar preacher. I don't, I don't typically go by the liturgical calendar or social calendar or anything else. <clears throat> but since I had uh, decided to take a little break from 1st and 2nd Samuel to preach through some of the Psalms, I thought, well, I don't typically do this, but I could pick a Psalm of thanks since it's Thanksgiving weekend. So that's um, where we are, and I know it thrilled Brett because he loves to do Thanksgiving music and Christmas music, and I said, we'll be on the same page this year anyway, um, but uh, it's exciting to me. You know, this is a time of uh, season where uh, gratitude is a heightened attitude that we have that, and we want to encourage, um, and apparently it's not something that comes natural. Um, you have to learn it. It has to be developed. Uh, you've probably all seen by now the the events in the news of the uh, three UCLA basketball players who went to China and they were uh, arrested while they were over there for shoplifting. And uh, shoplifting is a big deal in China. We let people off easy here, a little fine usually. In China, you, when you're arrested for shoplifting and they were sh- uh, stealing sunglasses, I mean, can you not find those in America? Uh, anyway, they're over there in China, and they steal a few sunglasses, and they're arrested. Ch- China, typical offense for shoplifting is five to ten years in prison. It's a big deal. They just happened to do it at the same time our president was over there, you know, or a few days later, he's over there uh, talking to the Chinese president. So... In that discussion, it came up, and those three guys were released. When they were released, they immediately said in their media interview, thank you, President Trump, for our release. I don't know why the media then goes to their parents, but there was one dad of those three basketball players who said, why should I give him thanks? What has he done for me? I didn't even thank the doctor who delivered me into this world. Why should I thank Trump, you know, and the media has just made a big deal about this, it's, and I, I thought, good grief, just say thank you and move on, but apparently, thank you is not a natural response, it's something we have to learn, and a lot of people haven't learned it, uh, as parents, this is the time of year where a lot of gifts are given between now and Christmas, and if you've got a little toddler, you're, you're starting to teach them. What do you say? What do you say? If somebody has given you something, what do you say? You respond with gratitude. You thank them for what they have done. They didn't have to do it. Uh, if they've done something for you, even if it's a small thing, if it's something significant, you still give them thanks. So we try to teach that. Why do we teach it? Well, before we get to Psalm 136, let me just take a few moments. Why is giving thanks a good idea? Why should we spend time developing it and training it, training our kids to thank others? Maybe we need to train our parents to thank others. Let me give you four quick reasons why we should do that. Number one, it's right. Number two, it's respectable. Number three, it's reasonable. And number four, it's rewarding, okay? Think about that with me for a moment. Why should we be, of all people, people of gratitude, giving thanks? First of all, we should be thankful because it's right. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and then we'll get back to Psalm 136. But 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Very simple verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pretty simple. What is God's will for you? In, to, in everything, give thanks. It's right. It's the will of God that we express gratitude to others. If somebody has done something for us, recognize that God uses people to bless us. Let's give thanks to them. Let's give thanks to God. It's the right thing to do. Second, it's respectable. It's respectable in the sense that if somebody does something for you, you honor them by appreciating that. It's, it's just showing them respect. It's acknowledging that they have taken time to think about you, to remember you, to spend something on you, whatever. It's respectable to acknowledge that someone else has invaded your life with a gift and given you something. Respond to that with respect. Third, it's reasonable. It just makes good common sense to be courteous to those who want to be nice to us. Relationships are hard to come by. If somebody is seeking to be nice, it's courteous. It's reasonable. It makes sense to respond to that person and to maintain that relationship. And then fourth, it's rewarding. It's rewarding. Relationships grow by appreciation. If you want to grow a relationship, if you want the rewards of that relationship, respond to those people who are involved in your life with gratitude. Thank them for their time, for their prayers, for their gifts, for whatever they do. Um, it is good. So do we say thank you? You know, if the kid, you know, I responded plenty of times growing up to my parents, just like the father of the UCLA basketball player. You know, my first thought was, good grief, you know, just say thanks and get this over with. But my second thought was, I'm just like that guy. There was plenty of times I said to my folks, why do I have to say thank you? I didn't ask them to do anything for me. You know, why do I have to say thank you? Why do I have to act like I owe them a favor? I don't want to do that. You know, we rebel. Um, now, you know, so I've thought about that enough to say, well, I should say thank you. It's right. It's God's will. It's respectable. It's reasonable. It's rewarding. I've got good answer why I need to work through that and develop that characteristic in my life. Uh, so do we say thank you? I hope we do. Now let's shift focus. Not only do we thank others, do we thank God? Look at Psalm 136. This is a, a psalm that is, uh, people call it book, bookend. Both the first verse and the last verse specifically direct us and command us to thank God. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He's good. And then verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His loving kindness is everlasting. So from the first verse to the last verse, we have this command 
that we are to be given, giving thanks to the Lord. Um, so let's think about that. The first nine verses are verses that express thanks to God for his, his reputation. And I want, us to, I want us to think about that so that you, so that you get a feel for this psalm. I won't do, do it for the whole psalm, but let's, let's do it for the first nine verses. This is, this is one of those psalms the congregation would say responsively. So the leader would, would speak a phrase and the congregation would speak a phrase. The, the phrase for the congregation is the same over and over. So you don't have to learn but one phrase. The focus is on the leader coming up with new stuff. But your phrase is, his, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Do you have that? For his loving kindness is everlasting. Say that. For his loving kindness is everlasting. See, you can say it without even looking. That was, that's obvious. Let me do nine verses, okay? And when, when it's your time, I'll just do like this. And you've got it, okay? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who made the heavens with skill. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. All right, let's stop right there and think about it. You're, you're slowing down on me a little bit, so I didn't go all the way to verse 26. But to, to say every phrase with enthusiasm and excitement is what is intended here. Uh, to, to really begin to think that God has this thing called loving kindness, his kind mercy, and his kind mercy is eternal. Never ceases, never stops. He begins by describing what I, what I call God's reputation for being wonderful and then doing wonderful. Look at verses 1 through 3. God being wonderful. Give thanks to the Lord, his being. He is good. He, he is wonderful. Loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods. Of all the gods you can imagine and have expressed themselves on earth, he is supreme. He is wonderful. And then verse 3, he's the Lord of lords. So everyone with authority, he's the key authority over all. He is. It's all about his being. He is wonderful. And imagine all of that, and he wants to take thought of us. He wants to be involved in our lives. He who is wonderful, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the supreme being of goodness, wants to be involved in our lives. Sometimes we give credit to Mother Nature. I hate it when I see that kind of expression. Well, Mother Nature is churning up this or that for us. That's a myth. It's a worse 
myths than some of the other myths we, we, we play with this time of year. Uh, it's God who is God of gods, Lord of lords, who is his good. And he has a reputation for never failing us. His tender mercy and kindness is eternal. Not only is, is he good, but he does good. Uh, verses 4 through 9, it's all about what he does. To him who alone does wonderful, does great wonders. So not only is he wonderful, he does wonderful stuff. Verse 5, he made the heavens with skill. It's interesting that of these wonders, he just begins to describe these things that are above us. We think of things that are wonderful in our life, and he, he says, well, it's so much more than that. He, he makes the heavens, and he does it skillfully. He, he, it's not haphazard. It's not random. It's not without a lot of architectural planning, every detail. And as I think about that, and then he describes uh, what we can see, the, 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 the waters, the stars, the sun, the moon, uh, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. But you know heaven is, is that place where it says, eye is not seen, ears not heard, all that God has prepared. And he, he's preparing this with skill. If he's made what we see in six days, and all of that's very good, just imagine what he has made, is making in heaven for those who are called his own, for his church. So to one day get to this place, it just, it's going to be, it, it's, it's unimaginable. You do not have, I do not have the intellectual ca capability to imagine his creative ability. I mean, we can't comprehend how he can make the world in six days you're not even close i'm not even close to imagining what he's done over the last several thousand years or more in heaven as a creative creator god but he he, he describes his loving kindness to us by spreading out waters i mean where would we be without water and in verse six and then great lights Verse 8, the sun. Verse 9, the moon and the stars. Where would we be without the stars and the moon to rule the night and the sun to rule the day? And we would be in total darkness if we existed at all. He's, he does wonderful things because we breathe because he has taken us out of darkness into light. And he's created the stars and the moon all of this to, to function in such a way that we can have life. Um, have you ever read the bumper sticker that says, if you can read this, thank a teacher? You know, uh, and it's just acknowledging somebody had to teach you. It could have been your mom, your dad, your Mimi, your papa. It could have been a school teacher. But somebody had to teach you. If you can read, thank that person you you didn't get here by accident in the same sense if you can see the sun and the moon and the stars thank god he is god he's the god of god he's the lord of lords he's the creator of all if you exist thank god that's that's the focus of the first nine verses that we ought to be a people 
consistently thanking God. When does the sun and the moon come up? Every day. And if you can see those, thank God. Uh, one of the, uh, the authors who I think gets it and expressed this well is Carl Boberg. You know, it's amazing we don't remember his name, but you all know his words. Oh, Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the mighty thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wonder and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. That should be the expression we're giving to our God day in and day out. Well, verses 10 through 22, I think this, there's a shift. Not only are we thanking God for who he is and what he does, but then verses 10 through 22, it gets very specific in thanking God for redemption. Because we get one illustration after another of God redeeming. Verse 10, to him who smote the Egyptians in, the, in their firstborn. Um, again, the phrase, his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, it's, it's eternal but think about, that's where our redemption begins. It's, it's part of the Ten Commandments. It's referred back to that we are bought out of bondage. That we who are slaves to sin, just as they were slaves to Egypt, they were bought out and brought out. And we are bought out and brought out of sin and this dark world because we have a God who chooses to be a redeeming God. So he begins by taking us back there, to, uh, to, to redeem Israel out of Egypt. And in order to do that, he has to smite the Egyptians. Then verse 11 and 12. And he brought Israel out from their midst, uh, verse 12, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. So he really lashes out. He's an active redeemer. Verse 13. Uh, you see how he does it through the Red Sea. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. Verse 14. He made Israel pass through the midst of it, verse 15, but he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. So you see redemption. He says God parted the waters, told his people, you have to walk through. Pharaoh will follow, swallows Pharaoh up with his judgment. God is so good to his people, saving and redeeming us from that which is after us and holds us bondage. Verse 16 through 22, it goes on. To him who led his people through the wilderness. So you have them coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, great deliverance. Verse 16, the redeeming of God by providing land, providing an inheritance, um, and taking care of all the kings and evil forces that were against them. Verse 17, to him who smote great kings. Verse 18, slew mighty kings. Verse 19, Sihon, king of the Amorites. Verse 20, and Og, king of Bashan. Verse 21, and gave the, their land as a heritage. 
So he wipes out everybody that was in the promised land, gives that to his people. Even, verse 22, even a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So the whole theme there is God redeeming a people for himself, beginning with Israel, taking them out of Egypt, and bringing them into the promised land. Uh, of course, in the New Testament, we have, like I said, that's used as an analogy to remind us we were all born in sin. We were all slaves to sin. Christ came in, and to redeem us, he had, with outstretched arm, had to slay Satan, had to slay the devil, had to thwart the powers of darkness. He had to die on a cross, had to pay for our sin, had to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. Christ does all of that for us. And then he receives us to himself and provides us a wonderful inheritance. As I've said many times, one of my favorite of all verses in the Bible is Romans 8, 32, because it takes us right at that point and moves us one step further. And it's this, And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So if he's done this, if he has redeemed, don't think it's over. If he did not spare his own son for you, how will he not also now give you all things? We have a glorious inheritance in Christ. So our good friend Carl, Carl Boberg takes his song a little further. And when I think, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and he died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. What a song. It expresses what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 136. When we get it, that we have a Redeemer, we scarce can take it in. And the only appropriate response is gratitude. We must sing of God's greatness. He's, he's wonderful, and He does wonderful. Well, the psalmist concludes verses 23 through 26, thanking God for His remembrance. Verse 23 who remembered us in our lowest state. Verse 24, and has rescued us from our adversaries. Verse 25, who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Now, God remembers us. It's, it's, it's significant to be remembered. Um, there's a lot of people who would do good things for me if they only knew I needed it. They only remembered me. And especially if they remembered me when I needed it. You've got people like that, right? You said, I know this person likes me. I know this person loves me. And they do anything for me. It's just that when I need it, they don't know it. And they don't remember. Our God is a God, he says, who remembers us. 
Think about the significance of that. He doesn't just know we have needs. He remembers our needs and responds to those needs just when we need it. He rescues us, verse 24. He gives to us, verse 25. That's a great God. um, You have to be taught to remember, too. God, God does this. This is naturally God. How many of you have been told, you know, remember to put that back in the refrigerator? Have you had something that needed to be there because it spoils quickly? Say like milk. You know, remember to put the milk. You can have all the milk you want. Just remember to put it back in the fridge. And you sit it aside. Then you go to bed. You wake up the next morning and you can smell. The whole house smells. Because you forgot. You didn't remember that certain things need to happen. It spoils if it's not in the fridge. Same thing with our lives. We spoil. We get messed up. We, we, we are in need of somebody remembering when we need it. And our God is a God like that. He remembers to give us, it says, food to all flesh. He gives it to us when we need it. Now, <coughs> our God is a God who has all ability to see everything all at the same time, take care of everything, just amazing, unbelievable. But he also has, he has troops, he has forces that assist him, that assist us, that guard us and protect us. So when I thought about who gives food to all flesh, it reminded me of, of God's use of angels. Angels are his messengers, and his messengers are sent to, to us to take care of us. Let, let me share a couple of passages. Look at Psalm 78, 21 and 29. It's just cool to think about this spiritual realm where God lives and what he does with it. Psalm, 20, Psalm 78, verse 21. And this is talking about God's people in the wilderness and, and they're not being gracious and yet God still takes care of them. Psalm 78, verse 21. Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger was mounted against Israel because they did not believe God and did not trust in his salvation. And circle the next word, yet. I mean, so we've got sinners acting like sinners, not being grateful, yet. Verse 23, he, God, commanded the clouds above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down manna upon them to eat. And gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. Catch that. We ate, they ate the bread of angels. So when, when they're not being grateful, you remember the story. God pouring out manna. God giving them quail to eat. And he says, so he opens the heavens and he literally is taking food angels are used to eating. And he says, angels, take that to them. These sinful Israelites who are grumbling and complaining. God God should be giving us his wrath. And instead, he remembers we have need of bread and food. Verse 25. Man did eat the bread of angels. 
He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to, to blow in the heavens, and by his power he directed the south wind. And he rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas. Then he let them fall in the midst of the camp, round about their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, and their desire he gave to them. Awesome is our God to give us what we need to eat. Look at Psalm 91. Verse 9 through 12. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. We don't even realize times we are being threatened by the spiritual forces around us. And God says, I have already appointed angels to guard you and to continue providing for you and taking care of you. You exist because I remember you have needs. And I remember you can't take care of those needs. So I open up heaven and I send my angels to take care of those needs for you. One other verse, Psalm 34, verse 7. Very simple verse that sums it up. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. That's a phrase from which some people say, oh, so do we have an angel, a guardian angel? The majority of scripture does not give us one angel. It gives us a host of angels. Um, this is certainly in the singular, but God has given us angels to watch over, to guard, to protect us, uh, to provide for us food from heaven, to remember us. Uh, what's his place of, of remembrance? Verse, Psalm 136 again, verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. <clears throat> I think that's thrown in to remind us his place. Where is he doing this from? He's doing all of this from heaven. Heaven is, is, is a great place to do this from because it's, it's the place of greatest advantage. He's got all the resources of heaven, and he's also got the eyesight of heaven. He's, he's at this vantage point. Uh, even where I stand, I, I have a vantage point. I'm a little higher than the rest of you, so I can see all of you. And if you ever climb to the top of a mountain or get, been in a tall building, you look out and say, man... I didn't know that was there, and I didn't know that was there. You see things you couldn't see until you got that vantage point. And I think it, it, it shows that to us here in Psalm 136. He's the God of heaven. He's the God over us who can certainly see us and see all of our needs, and he remembers that. Reminding me of Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, some people see this as a threat, and um, yet it's, it's really... Um, something very comforting, God's ability to see. Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 13, yes. <clears throat> Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And some people say, that's scary to, to know that God sees everything I do. 
no matter where I go, he has clear line of sight to see me. It's, it's scary if you're under his wrath. It's, it's wonderful if you're under his mercy. The loving kindness of the Lord, thee never ceases. Remember that phrase over and over? This God has tender mercy for me. It's eternal, and he can see me all the time, wherever I am, which is why the, the author of Hebrews goes on to this, this wonderful description of God being empathetic with us, having a throne of grace that we can go to all the time through Christ. This God who sees us, knows us, will respond with empathy and grace and mercy over and over again. Well, I've shared with you before that the song that uh, Amy Grant made famous, I think there was about three people who wrote it, but it, it starts with Peter in prison. It's about angels and God using angels for us. Let me read some of the text. Take this man to prison. The man heard Herod say, and then four squads of soldiers came and carried him away. Chained up between two watchmen, Peter tried to sleep, but beyond the walls an endless prayer was lifting for his keep. Then a light cut through the darkness of a lonely prison cell, and the chains that bound the man of God just opened up and fell. And running to his people before the break of day, there was only one thing on his mind, only one thing to say. Angels watching over me, every move I make. Angels watching over me, every step I take. God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. A reckless car ran out of gas before it ran my way. Near misses all around, accidents unknown. Though I've never seen with human eyes the hands that lead me home. But I know they're all around me, all day and through the night. When the enemy's closing in, protecting me, then you're going to hear me say, God's got his angels watching over me. Every move I make, angels watching over me, every step I take. What's our response? Our response is Psalm 136. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. I want to say one thing about the repetitive phrase. It's, it's here 26 times for his loving kindness is everlasting. There, there are times, especially in church worship wars, you remember those, I guess they're about 20 years old now. People were really criticizing any church that did contemporary music whatsoever. And one of the famous criticisms that we and others got for it using a contemporary song was contemporary songs are just vain ditties. They just repeat the same thing over and over. Well, what do you do with Psalm 136? Is it a vain ditty? Because God repeats the same thing 26 times. I mean, you got tired of it at nine times. What if we did it all 26? Are we going to criticize God and say, God, that's just vain repetition. I mean, you said it already. And sometimes we think we don't need repetition, and yet God gives it to us 26 times for His loving kindness is everlasting. Some of you might have said it last night, yesterday, at a ball game. A vain 
repetition, right? I don't think it's vain at all. Your repetition, you hear it at almost every ball game. At some point, one of the people in the stands starts yelling one word. Everybody joins you, and it's defense, 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 defense. Like, I got it. Good grief. Stop already. But you don't stop. It's repetition. And why do you do that? It's encouragement. You hope that this encouragement to stay strong and be a team will lead you to victory. You don't consider it vain at all. Because we need that kind of constant repetition. Even though it's been coached, it's been trained, it's been memorized, you still need it, and I need it. And God gives us the same kind of thing. His loving kindness it's everlasting. We need to be encouraged in that. We need to repeat that over and over because we're a people that often fight with God, complain with God, grumble with God, and we need to be a church. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. And we, we need to be repeating phrases that God says, We need that encouragement. We need that support to remember that. Just remember he's wonderful. Remember he does wonderful. Remember he redeems. And by redeem, he takes out those who are against you, and he brings in a great inheritance. And he's provided his son, and with his son, all things. And he's opening up the heavens for you. His loving kindness is everlasting. One of my favorite verses, I think yours too, Lamentation chapter 3. Let me remind you of it. Lamentation chapter 3 comes right after the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is one of those exilic prophets that had to sit and watch the city of Jerusalem burn. And he had to watch the temple destroyed. And he just sits there weeping and crying. And so it's written down, his lament, his tears in in watching the people of God being taken to exile. And in in that moment, we have this phrase, chapter 3 of Lamentations, verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. The same phrase in Psalm 136. I'm watching my city burn. I'm watching the temple of God be destroyed. I'm watching worshipers be carried off to exile. But his loving kindness indeed never ceases. It's eternal. God is still a good God. He still does good stuff. He still redeems. I still have hope because his loving kindness is indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Do you thank him? Do you thank him every day? Do you thank him 
many times a day. Why do you need to thank God? It's right. It's respectable. It's reasonable. It's rewarding. Let's pray. Father, none of us have appropriately, sufficiently thanked you. Forgive us for being so woefully inadequate in expressing our praise and gratitude. Let us remember that we can express gratitude more effectively and more powerfully as a group, as the church, than we can individually. Let us not forsake the Lord's day. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Let us see the significance of coming and giving you praise and adoration because it's right, it's God's will, because your loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Father, for those who miss you altogether, may they see you this day high and lifted up. May they see the good and wonderful God you are, and may they be drawn to you and to salvation in Christ alone. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given us one more time to thank you and praise you. We ask your blessing upon the Lord's Supper we now switch to take. We ask that you would bless this ordinary bread and wine for this purpose of reminding us and enriching us in Christ. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.